Today is November 6, 2019. The title of tonight's sermon is One Life to Live. See, what we had Sunday was, uh, was a great joy for me getting to preach with Judah. As men of God, we learn that we have weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. And that we have to grab fully hold of both to accomplish the work of God in our lives. Do you guys remember that from Sunday? Can somebody say left? Can somebody say right? See, what we learned on Sunday was that we are both sheep and supposed to shepherd our families. That we're disciples who are making disciples. That we're living on earth, but we're seated in the heavens. That we're the fragrance of life to some, and we are the fragrance of death to others. Man, don't you... Isn't that a a great thought for us to hold on to even tonight? That what you do when you are walking fully in Christ, that you are going to be the fragrance of life to some and the fragrance of death to others. So you know what it means that our obligation is? Is to be exactly like Christ. To never waver, not one little bit, not one amount off of his word, not one amount from what his spirit is teaching us to try to get someone to uh, think our fragrance is different. When someone thinks that you are the fragrance of death, that is showing their condition before the Lord, not necessarily yours. See, we have divine and yet we have downright earthly parts of our construction. We're weak, but we're filled with power. You're an ambassador and you're a slave of Christ. You've been saved and you are being saved. You're supposed to be as bold as a lion, but also quick to listen. You are a carrier of life because you are a devotee to death. This is what, this is just a little bit of our recap from Sunday. Now turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Lest we have a lengthy introduction without actually getting into the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and let's look at verse 2. It says this, we always thank God for all of you. Mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Somebody say by faith. Your labor prompted by love. Somebody say by love. And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost like the work that you do acts as a left hand because it's faith. By the way, what's the difference between work and labor? One is what you do. The other is indicating that it's more difficult than you thought it would be. I may go to work. What did you do today? Well, I pushed some papers and I organized this and then I came home. What was today? Today was laborious. See, your work that's been produced by faith, your daily actions that show that you actually love the Lord on a daily basis, your labor, when things get difficult, we're not the kind of men and women in this place who just decide to quit. We're not the kind who begin to whine and complain. We're the kind that say, see, this labor has been prompted by love, right hand. And what it produces is a faithful endurance that's been inspired by the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Man, isn't this this an encouraging word for us? See, our aim is that our time is spent well. That our deeds and our inward thoughts are pleasing to the Father. I had a beautiful time with a couple just the other day. And we were talking about their uh, sinful traits. Their Nabal traits, if you will. And what we were talking about is that the point of you understanding what your sinful nature looks like, not just someone else, somewhere else, but that you understand what it looks like when you are sinning. See, the victory is not if you tend to be a rude person that you keep your rude comments to yourself. That is not a victory. I guess it's better than voicing it, but you have not yet performed a righteous action by not committing a sinful act. See, what the, the point of it is, is not that you have 
grown in your ability to keep your words inside of your head, but that the very heart that you have is changed. See that your silence, not from the outside, because we can do that with a muzzle. But what you want is that the word of God is acting in you and that you no longer yield to those desires to even allow the thought to nest in your heart. See, it matters what we do. It matters what you do every day. It matters the standard that you hold and if it's according to the Word of God or not. It matters because you have one life that you live and you only have one life that you can give. See, this is what God is trying to encourage us with today. See, victory isn't that we aren't being outwardly sinful. It's that we're being inwardly pleasing to the Lord of hosts. Wow, that was a really, really weak response. I'm sure that's because everyone in this room is doing this really, really well. See, the goal isn't just that you refrain from outward sinful acts, but that you have an inward life that is pleasing to the Father of all creation. We are determined to win. We're going to win a battle, and we're going to win the war. Every day that we fight, we're going to win, and we're going to keep doing that and prove faithful over decades so that we might accomplish God's will in our lives on this earth. Amen? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Come on now. Ephesians chapter 5. You know what's going to keep it good? We're going to stay in the Word of God. We're just going to look at the Word of God and do exactly what it says. That's my secret plan for tonight, by the way. Whatever the opposite of nefarious is, that's what this is. It's my scheme. We're just going to read the Word and see what it says. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's start in verse 15. Say there when you're there. Be very careful then. Hey, how careful do you have to be if the Bible is saying, be very careful? Not just be careful, not just look at it. Be careful. Be very careful then how you live. Oh, well, how you live in church? Not as unwise, but as wise. The word of God is setting up two options here. You're either living in an unwise fashion or you're living in a wise fashion. Look at verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Yeah, that's the unwise person. But understand what the Lord's will is. That's the wise person. See, we live in days that are evil. Do you agree with that? Yeah, if you don't really realize that, then your censors have been dulled by the onslaught, by the flood of dissipation that's around you. Of course, we live in an, an evil reality. And we also know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. If you have a soft spot in your heart, that is an area in your life where you are showing a hatred towards God. When you want to be like the world, when you want to indulge in what the world does, you are hating God, according to the scripture. So you have to be careful to make the most of every opportunity. Back in verse 16. Somebody say, the most of every opportunity. How are you going to make the most of every opportunity? Half the time, some of us don't even know there's an opportunity there. Then you've got to take the opportunity, but the Lord says you've got to make the most of every opportunity. Now, there's a little bit more than meets the eye in this passage of making the most of every opportunity. I want to show you what this looks like from an interlinear translation. I'm going to show you the Greek words, okay? So I think we have a slide here if it's going to work. Hey, man, it worked. Praise the Lord. Amen. In the middle there, you'll see the English version. Greek reads left to right just like English does. Okay? 
We're getting to be Bible scholars here. On Sunday, we read from right to left because it was Hebrew. Today, we're going to read from left to right. It says, redeeming the time because the days evil are. See, you didn't know Yoda was in this, right? <laughs> the days evil are. Redeeming the time. See, the NIV thought it was helpful to say you couldn't figure out what redeeming the time meant. So it's going to tell you to make the most of every opportunity. Now, conceptually, those may seem close, but I'm going to say that I don't really think that they're as close as they should be. Going to make the most of every opportunity. Well, I missed it. Oh, well, I'll try harder the next time. See, you've got to redeem the time. There's something that is required of you that you pay a price to pay attention to what's going on with your time with what you are doing in a daily fashion. That we're not only focused on reaching the nations for Christ, but we are doing it in a day, today, today kind of fashion. We're going to show the faith in a day, but we're going to show the faithfulness over time. See, we're going to redeem the time. Uh, Anybody ever wasted any time? Anybody uh, like me that needs to delete any apps off your phone because they just drain your time? You can look on my phone right now. If I notice that something is taking more of my attention, that if instead of me wanting to run to the word, I'm curious about a news flash, I delete the app immediately. You guys might not delete the app because you're strong. See, I know that I'm not strong enough. I'm the kind that wants to redeem the time. See, you were born as a damned sinner and you had to be redeemed. You were not only born into evil days, but you yourself have these evil proclivities. But the God of all creation began to do something inside of you to redeem you. You have to be purchased and bought back. That's exactly what the Lord is saying that we must do with our time. It's got to cost you something. See, if you're going to make the most of every opportunity, that doesn't necessarily mean that you got to pay something for it. It just means you're going to try to take advantage of it as it seems best to you. When you are trying to redeem the time. If we just took an actual schedule, not what you have on your calendar, but what you actually do in a day. And we let the time totals tell us what you really find is most important. What would we find? Would we find sleep? Would we find comfort? Would we find food? or the preparation thereof, or the eating there. What would we find is the most important thing that you do according to your time? See, we've got to redeem the time. It's going to cost us something to put our time in the right way. See, you were once darkness. That's what the passage before, before what we read is in Ephesians 5. You were once darkness, but now you are light. You got to live in the light. You've got to walk in the light. You've got to expose the darkness because that's exactly what light does. See, like Adam, you were made of truly earthly substances, but you were empowered by the heavens. And that's been breathed into you. We are called to bring about redemption as ambassadors of Christ. And we're to be the example of a redeemed life. Somebody say redeemed life. life. That's a person who has redeemed their time in Christ. They're not any different. They are synonymous. What do you need to redeem in your time tonight? Before we go too much further, what do you need to redeem in your time? Do hours and days escape your grasp as shown by little to no progress in what you're actually doing? 
Have you just, has it become acceptable to you just to take another lap around the mountain of what God is trying to get you to, to realize? How many years are you going to stay in the same kind of circles, the same kind of patterns? Or are you going to learn to redeem the time that he's given you? See, this is beyond a few select people who have some supernatural gifting that none of the rest of us can have. This is about each and every man, each and every woman going, you know what? We've all been given the same gift of time. How are you redeeming your time? Is your family caught in an endless loop of activity without fruit? Movement without progress. Is it kind of like a rocking chair? I'm moving, but I'm not going anywhere. See, I'm moving. I've got activity going on in my life. But really what I use this motion to do is find comfort and put myself to sleep. See, we are not a rocking chair kind of church. Now, all of the mothers in the room, you understand I'm speaking metaphorically, right? Please, all the nursing mothers, enjoy your rockers. But that's exactly where a rocking chair belongs is for a nursing mother. It, it's, it's designed for infants. It's not designed for men and women who are warriors of Christ. See, because we can let motion think that we're making progress. This is motion. This is movement. You have to have movement in your life, and that comes from redeeming the time. Maybe it's not your own family, but maybe it's more about you and your personal walk. Did you arrive at this church at your current location on your job some time ago, and you've largely been unchanged in the time? What does it say if your progress hasn't been significant? It means that you view that when you got somewhere, you had everything about you that you needed already. I've grown a great deal by being at this church. See, you're supposed to watch my life and my doctrine closely, and you're supposed to be able to be encouraged by the progress that you see in me. See, this is what makes our church so very special, is we're saying if you can't see it in me, then somebody better raise their flag. But if you can, then what you're supposed to do is measure your life against that. Are, you can listen to the first... We put every sermon that we do online. You know why? Because you can hear our progress as pastors. As speakers, you can hear what I did before I got here when the best revelation I could come up with was a both and an and. Hey, that, that, was, man, that was all I had. That was, that was it. That's my whole bag of tricks right there. I had one good pitch and I just threw it. Now I'm glad that y'all didn't see me the next two days because I had to go home and go like, okay, now what am I going to speak on ever again? (laughs) See, what was there and I could could tank up over a few weeks or the next time I had an opportunity to speak somewhere. Now you see me on a Sunday and on a Wednesday and on a Friday and on a Sunday and everywhere in between. I'm saying I've grown since I've been here. How about you? That doesn't come because I'm just a magical person. It's because I work hard to redeem my time. What about you? How are you doing in that? Let's, turn, let's look at, at Ephesians 5.17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Somebody say filled with the Spirit. 
Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Wait a minute. This is not the two-hour service that you come to. This is not the responsibility of Peyton Parsons and his fine worship team. You are supposed to have such overwhelming, dominant joy that whether you're speaking to someone else or to yourself, you just got a song in your heart. This church needs to do better at this. We are a serious group. I like it. We're serious. We're very intense. But our seriousness cannot undo the joy that we're supposed to walk in. Mothers, have you lost some of your joy in dealing with your own children? Does it feel burdensome to you to correct, to lead, to input, to watch over them? Husbands, have you lost some of the joy that sing that song in your heart about leading your family, about having to correct your wife? Is it easier for you since you've lost the joy to just step back and not do it? See, that's not redeeming the time. That's not walking as children who are light. Not just in the light. You are the light. It's almost like I'm your pastor and I know you. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Not in your words, but where is this supposed to be? In your heart. Do you always give thanks to God for everything? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Is your time spent in joyful exhortation to yourself and to others? Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything because it's done in His name, His character, His reputation. Can you imagine Jesus having the little children coming up to Him and Him having a scowl on His face? It It is not conceivable that that was the case. How is it conceivable in your house that that's the case? Moms, I know that it's, it can be a very taxing thing. But you know what makes it more taxing? is when you have a terrible attitude. The joy of the Lord is our... Oh, Nehemiah tells us that, doesn't it? See, what we're doing is when we see the Word of God and just carry it out, it gives us everything that we need. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. Some of you, especially some of the women in the room, you need to write that down. You need to evaluate your heart against what the Word of God says so that you might be victorious in these areas. So that you can quit feeling like it's the burden of all burdens to raise children who are going to be the next generation of warriors for Christ. Please forgive me for not thinking that I have any sympathy for you. I love you. I will play with your kids. I I enjoy kids. And if you think that it's too heavy of a burden, it's what you've been assigned. You either don't trust that the Lord is with you or you've so lost the joy that you're missing the incredible blessing. You think I get up every morning and I lament the fact that I get to have lunch with you guys? I will put my schedule up against any of you. You know how the only way that I can do it is decide to be joyful all the time. Because all of my children, y'all take a lot of work. It's true. 
Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. You know what that means there? Redeem the time. That's exactly what it says in the Greek there as well. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Always. Not you got worn out. You have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature. Oh. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's almost like you need to take and make sure that you are redeeming the time. See, we've been given something that's precious. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Are y'all with me tonight? My goal tonight is to incline your heart, to warn your soul, and to direct your strength all in one sermon. That's that's the plan. I'm going to do it with some flower aspects, some linear aspects, and a circular aspect. I'm going to do it from the law, the prophets, the writings, Older and Newer Testament. I'm going to do it with everything possible because what the Lord wants to do is to help you. He wants to qualify you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to build you up. And he sent little old me to do it. First Peter chapter 1. Verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. See, uh, I did this with some friends the other day. I started to read a, a verse and I made everybody stop and then I wrote it on the board and made them fill in what they thought was coming next. So we don't think we know more about it for you it was not with perishable things that you were redeemed from your and i'm most people if we would have done this it's on the screen now so it's too late you redeemed from what from your sinful ways from sin it says from your empty way of life (laughs) of course it was sin but it was from your empty way of life see that's all that sin can produce is an empty way of life That's all that your selfishness can produce. That's all of what your lack of joy can produce is an empty way of life. But see, it wasn't perishable things handed uh, that can redeem you from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Somebody say it's precious. And church, it is not precious just because of what it does for you. Why is it so precious? Because it saved my soul. I understand from your perspective that that is precious. But how much more precious is this blood of Christ? See, what makes it precious is that it was Christ's blood that he shed for you. That's what makes it precious. And you get to enjoy the precious nature of what he has already provided. Your redemption was about leaving the empty way of life that you had. Your redemption was from the most precious substance in the entire universe ever. Your redemption should appear in your way of life as you are redeeming the time. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's continue on with this notion, this idea of preciousness. 2 Peter 1. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Wow. Look at verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us 
everything we need. Y'all know this is one of my favorite verses. Because it helps me to get over my own excuses that I somehow am lacking something. It's almost like my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. It's almost like I don't even have any room to complain ever about anything. Because if I don't have it, he's determined that I don't need it. You know how I know that? Because I'd have it if I needed it. Boy, isn't that a simple way to think? But it's one that will keep joy in your heart. It actually treats the blood of Christ as precious. What else do I need? What else do you need? You've been given everything by His divine power that you need for life. Somebody say life. Life. And godliness. As if life wasn't enough. You get life and godliness. Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and His own goodness. Through these He has given us... Are you ready for this? His very great and precious promises. Golly. So that through them, what's the them? The precious promises, the very great and precious promises. His very great and precious promises that he gave us. Through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. How many of you have that verse in your pocket? A few of us. You should be looking at this even better now. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by some outside forces somewhere. No, by your own evil desires. Come on, we have a precious nature in the redemption that we've received. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse one. Therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. We, we do not lose heart. You cannot lose heart if you're doing this the right way. Wish we had one of those little meters that we can just... As you walk in, the truth is, is the meter is usually your face. But, but when you walk in, the meter that just shows me how much we have lost heart today, this week, in the last 30 minutes, just now. Therefore, since God's mercy, through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. You are not supposed to lose heart, not on any day, no matter what the news is, no matter what the difficulty is, no matter what it looks like. You cannot lose heart. Do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not whine because of God's mercy being poured out to you. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. This is the Apostle Paul. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly. Isn't that what the Word of God is doing for us tonight? It's setting it forth plainly. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Let's look down, skip down to verse 7. But we have this treasure in golden vessels. We have this treasure 
in beautifully ornate containers. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, he shows his greatness by putting the most incredible substance in the universe inside of these little clay pots, inside of these jars of clay. What does this all-surpassing power look like, though? Let's go back to verse 6. Go back one verse to verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. You know when he said that? In Genesis 1. They put it in quotes, but this is not a direct quote. They're just saying, yeah, you know, God, when he said this, when he started this whole shebang, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Somebody look at your neighbor and very lovingly say, in your face. See, this is the all-surpassing power that he's put inside of you as a jar of clay. He's put the light of creation inside of you. He's put the glory of his presence inside of you. And just like Moses' face was shining, he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not just Moses. It's the very face of Jesus Christ that is shining now. You can see this light, this glory, this face of Christ in your life. That's what you have on the inside of you. See, when I say in jars of clay, you already think you know this. It's his light. It's his glory. And it's the panium. It's his face that is there with you. That's what he put in a jar of clay. How precious is that? How incredible is that for us? See, the reason that we want you to have scriptures in your pocket is so that it gets in your heart. If you read through them, if you memorize them, and you don't walk around with the, here it is, revelation that is supposed to be contained in the scriptures, you are doing some of the things that make us LCM, but you're not getting the benefits of having the divine nature inside of your jar of clay. You're attaching a sticker to the outside of the jar of clay and saying, I got it. No, you have been filled with an all-surpassing glory. Power, strength, light, presence of God. See, but there's a temptation, isn't there? To drift. Just, just drift. Just rock back on our heels just a little bit. There's a temptation to drift back towards the shadows. The darkness inside. The lack of redeeming your time. What do you think not redeeming your time is based on? What, you, think it, you think it's just because... Because you didn't know that you're supposed to redeem the time? This is the first time you've ever heard to redeem your time. No, of course not. It's because we have a tendency to want to slide away from that very presence of God. That's not redeeming the time. Those secret and shameful ways that we were once renounced, that we once just said, in Jesus' name I will not. Now we're like, I will try not to do that again. There's a slide in us that we must worry with, we must account for, that we are both a jar of clay and a vessel that contains the light and the glory of God has to be dealt with in our hearts. Let's go back to verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 
We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Do you see why we had to talk to you about a right and a left concepts the other day? Because you have to hold on to both of them. You have to have them both in your hands so that you can be victorious. If you want to do away with the, with the suffering and the pain, you're going to miss half of what God has for you. If you're going to forget that you have a divine nature that's on the inside of you, you're going to miss what God has for you. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Amen. For we who are alive are always being given over to death. Somebody say always. Pastor, why is it so hard if we have all this glory on the inside of you? Why is it so difficult? Because you're a jar of clay. We're being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that His life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you as well. Do you see these things that we have to grow? I think what the Lord is doing is uh, uh, someone shared a scripture with me out of Psalm 144 this evening. I said, Pastor, I really think the Lord is helping to stop the gaps in our wall. Bridging these gaps and closing the gaps in everything that we have. And I was like, wow. I think that's exactly what the Lord is trying to do for us. See, because the Lord is always about putting precious things in very unimpressive containers. A precious commodity like the light or the glory of God in a jar of clay. I was thinking about this. Do you know that in the Word, I believe it's only two chapters of the entire Bible that are given to the creation of the world? Two. There are two chapters given when Solomon is building the very temple of God's presence. Two chapters. If you want to count one where he's standing there and dedicating it and praying for most of the chapter, then three. But it's two about him constructing it. One about him constructing (laughs) his own palace. There's something like seven chapters, I believe, in Ezekiel that talk to us about the temple of an age yet to come. And there are 16 chapters in the Bible dedicated to the construction of the tabernacle. Two for the beginning of the whole planet. 16 for the beginning for the building of the tabernacle. I have a video that we're going to show. This no, no sound is needed. I'll just kind of... Uh, this is our team... And they sent this to me about 24 hours ago. I have no idea specifically where this is. This is in Israel. And what I want you to see, can you freeze that right there? Just for a second. This is a real life replica of the tabernacle. The presence of God on earth in a replica of the tabernacle from the time as described in the book of Exodus to his people. Is anybody just overwhelmingly impressed by what you see on the screen? It's special to us. If I was there, I'd be, wow. But not because of what I saw with my eyes. Go ahead and keep keep it going because I want you to... So this is a very unimpressive kind of thing. Look, there's Buddy, there's Baj, there's Pastor Slaughter with a fantastic stance. (laughs) Sorry, Pastor, love you. 
See, it has always been God's plan to put the divine in something very fragile like a jar of clay, like a tabernacle. Let's look at Exodus chapter 25 and let's look at verse 8. Exodus 25, 8. That was from 24 hours ago. I thought that was awesome. Look how the Lord does this. Exodus 25, 8 says this. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishing exactly like the pattern I will show you. See, that tabernacle was made to the exact dimensions that the Lord showed them. And it was a pattern. A pattern of what? A pattern of something that was already in the heavenly realm that God showed Moses while he was on the mountain. Hey, I, can enc- I want to encourage you tonight. The idea that you are a jar of clay, frail, able to be broken, but yet have the glory of God is part of His pattern that we're supposed to get a hold of tonight. See, you can't forget that you're a jar of clay and that it needs to be worked on every single day and you must redeem the time. And you can't forget that you've got the glory and the light and the very face of God inside of you. See, you can't forget either one. You've got to do both of these because it's, it shows His all-surpassing glory to do this. The pattern is that God uses these things, uses jars of clay, uses a tent to house the very glory of the heavens. Let's look at Exodus 25 and verse 40. At the end of this chapter, see to it that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. See, it starts and it ends this chapter with instructing His people to build according to the pattern. How are you doing building according to the pattern? See, this is part of redeeming the time is that you're building according to what He has instructed of what He has given to you. Let's go to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. God puts His presence in jars of clay. God puts His presence in the very tabernacle that He designed Himself in the heavens. Judges chapter 6, let's look at verse 12. It says this, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Really? God picked this jar. This jar is the one that He picked is Gideon. The dude hiding in the place where you're supposed to be Making the wine, he's hiding there, threshing wheat because he's afraid of the bad guys around him. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You who now are like a chicken sitting in this little coop. Oh. So he calls to a jar of clay. What does he do? He gives him a precious promise. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What? Isn't that the way God does to us? You can have your knees shaking and he'll say, I am with you. you. You can be afraid of the details of what's going on in your life. The things that you're worried about. The things that you're thinking on. And God can say, yes, I'm with you. Yes. That's what we need. That's what we desperately want to have in our lives. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? I love Gideon. Because he responds just like all of us. An angel, <laughs> okay, so in, let's just break this down for a second. An angel of God appears to him, probably glowing, probably giant, and he says, yea, behold, the Lord is with thee. 
And his first response is not like, whoa, awesome, wow. It's, hey, so if the Lord is with us, why is all this bad stuff happening? (laughs) We so resemble that remark, don't we? God will speak to you in this place right here. He'll say, I have a word for you. We'll go, well, if that's the case, then why is this, why is this so difficult? Hey, Gideon. Somebody just turn to your neighbor and say, hi there, Gideon. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Yeah, it sounds just as ridiculous when you say it as when, when Gideon says it. Surely the Lord has left us. Surely everything that my life has been about is now ruined. Really? Come on, Gideon. Come on. The Lord is still with you. I know you're a jar of clay. No, I get that. But that's not what you're supposed to put your hope in. It's the immutable, unchanging power, all-surpassing power of His light, of His glory, of His presence that is now inside of you. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. I love how God just doesn't put up with our excuses, not even a little bit. Hey, husbands, don't put up with with your wife's excuses. Hey, wives, don't put up with your kids' excuses. Hey, pastors, don't put up with their excuses. Okay. While I'm I'm just going to get everybody, including myself. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, go in the strength that you have. You get up and go in the strength that I've already given you. I just told you that I'm with you. I just told you that you're a jar of clay and I just filled you. So shut your mouth and go do what I told you to do. Love ya. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I love that God never puts up with not one little excuse, even as good as we are at making them. See, there are reasons why we don't redeem the time, though. Just like Gideon's doing. You have earthly words. You have earthly concerns. You have earthly thinking. You think that those are the reasons that you can't do what God has already told you to do. No, this is difficult. Yeah, probably so. But you have God inside of you. Get up and do what he told you to do. Go in the strength that you have. Really? Yes, get up and go. This is not him asking Gideon. He's saying, do what I'm telling you to do. But Gideon is having trouble redeeming the time because he's got too much of earthly things on his mind and on his heart the lord said that there was no time you got to go get up and go the man of god at war has no time for earthly trappings we have to learn how to press on let's look at judges chapter 7 what did they do with this verse 16 judges 7 16 it says this dividing the 300 men into three companies oh Three parts is required for this victory. Hmm. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. So there's three parts of this battle plan, just like there's three parts inside of you. Just like there's three parts in the Tanakh. Just like there's three parts in Deuteronomy 6. Huh. I'm sure that's completely random. Hey, if you've got 300 men divided into 300 companies, and Gideon places in their hands a trumpet, and an empty jar 
with a torch inside. Does anybody see the problem with that? How is it an empty jar with a torch inside? A trumpet and a jar. That word there for empty jar is the word wrecked. It means worthless. It's an empty, worthless, nothing kind of thing. It's almost like he's saying, you know what you got in your hand? You got a jar of clay, but I'm going to put my fire on the inside of it. That's how you can have an empty jar that's filled with a torch. It's amazing. Just right there. Verse 17, watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. Wait. Doesn't say this word, but discipleship is going on right here. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. Man, I'm, I'm no, I know how to redeem my time. You ought to watch this. You're going to want to do what I, exactly what I do. All three teams do exactly what I do. When I get my spirit and my soul and my body all aligned here, I will defeat the enemy every time. There's not even a problem for this. Do exactly what I do. Do exactly what your spirit is instructing you to do from the heavens. Man, we're, we're trying to do this for you every single day as your pastors. Just watch what we do. Let's all do it together. We're going to win. Verse 18, when I and all who are with me blow the trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reach the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. They've got God's menorah, his, their torch in the left hand, and the proclaiming method of his word in their right hand. It's almost like I see the picture here of them entering into the very holy place and seeing the, the menorah and the word of God right there in front of them in each hand. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran and cried out as they fled. See, the death of your earthen vessel is what causes the light of God's presence to be seen to everyone else around you. See, when you die to those worldly concerns, when you just let them be broken before you, it reveals God's power before you. Far from hiding in a wine press, they're now trumpeting the triumph of God. Come on, wouldn't you say that they redeem the times here? Let's turn to Psalm 30, uh, 31. Psalm 31, let's look at verse 15. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and lie silent in the grave. Let their lying lips be silenced. For, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. By the way, when you're speaking against God's plan, it is a sign of arrogance. It's a sign of arrogance when someone else is speaking it to you. It's a sign of arrogance when you're speaking it to yourself. How great is your goodness? Wow. It's a pretty neat question, isn't it? 
How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. See, this is acknowledging both the great glory that is put within you and the fact that you're a jar of clay. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 1. When Sanballat heard that they were that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. <laughs> he ridiculed the Jews, the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, "What are these feeble Jews doing?" Somebody say feeble. feeble. Man, they're just jars of clay. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they break, bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, boy, don't you like it, that, that other little yippy dog that just starts adding in? You know, somebody else is just waylaying you, and this guy is adding in. What, what they are building, if even a fox climbed upon it, he would break down their walls of stone. See, the weak outer shell of the people of God here in this moment caused people to doubt the men who were doing the work. And thereby, they were doubting the God who commissioned them. Well, that's one thing when we get it from the outside, isn't it? You get somebody opposing you and they're like, what do you think you guys are going to do there with that little church? What do you think you're going to do with your little business? What do you think you're going to do with your little family? Yeah, don't get confused that my casing is a jar of clay, but what I got on the inside of me will never decay. See, you can't forget that part of what's going on here. The worst part is not someone who's external saying it, but it's when we're saying it for ourselves. I'm only a jar of clay. I'm weak and feeble. Yeah, when you do that, you're saying that you expect yourself not to be victorious. You're fighting against the glory that is actually within, within you. You are looking at the, the jar of clay and forgetting that it contains the glory of the heavens. See, how do you evalu- your, out, evaluate your situation? How do you evaluate other situations? Are you looking at it from the ac- outside? Because we all look pretty weak and, and feeble. It's true. But see, we're not. These are feeble Jews who redeemed the sin and the lost time of their ancestors. They completed this task. They asked the Lord to strengthen their hands, and they went out and did exactly what they were supposed to do. Turn with me to Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5 and verse 3. At that time, Tataniah, the governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar... Bazaniah. And their associates went to them and asked, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? They, they also asked, what are the names of the men constructing this building? <laughs> who gave you the right to do that? Who do you think you are? I see, you're just a jar of clay. Who do you think you are? Who gave you the right to do that? Boy, doesn't that sound exactly like what they were asking of Jesus Christ? In Matthew, who do you think, who gave you the authority to heal these people? What a ridiculous question. It's just as ridiculous when they asked it of Jesus as when they asked it of you. Who do you think you are to try to accomplish something for the Lord? Yeah, I know exactly who I am. I'm a jar of clay that has the glory and the power of God on the inside of me. You go ahead and keep judging me by the outside. I'm going to keep operating from what's on the inside. I promise I'll be victorious every time. The only time I'm not victorious is when I forget what's on the inside of me 
and I yield to what's on the outside of me. This is, this is, this is an encouraging word that the Lord is trying to bring to us tonight. Who authorized you to do this? Let's look at verse 5. But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews. Oh, wow. The eye of their God was watching over them. And they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply be received. See, we can no longer live like mere earthen vessels. We can't slowly slide back into a satiated, sinful state. Church, we got work to do. Come on, say it with me. Say work to do. You got work to do and you don't have time to forget what you're actually made of. What is on the inside of you, empowering you, driving you. In the book of Haggai, chapter 2, it talks about how that the glory of this temp, of this temple. See, there are some of you here who saw the former glory. Here's what it says in Haggai 2, verse 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? <laughs> Want to flash that, script, that, that uh, picture of the uh, tabernacle back up there. How does it look to you now? As a matter of fact, let me, let me quote something to you from Ezra. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 12. It says, But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud. This one's not as good as the one before. The one before. Solomon's temple was grand. Zerubbabel, your temple, it's kind of weak. Not so impressive. Not nearly as majestic as what we remembered the past to be. They wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the, shout, the sound of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping. Because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. This wasn't like it was a few people going, eh. Not sure how you're going to be building that Zerubbabel. It was a crushing sound that some were saying, yes, we're rebuilding God's presence in our life. We are redeeming the time. And others said, that ain't good enough. You're not, you can't make it. You're not going to be able to do this. What are you doing? Who gave you the right to do this, Zerubbabel? No, the God Almighty gave him the right to do this. See, this is what happens when you start judging by external things. This is what happens when you start judging your life by what you think it should look like instead of what God has put within you to do. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 6 says this, This is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desire of the nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. Verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. See, because our God doesn't have to have a building that is greater than the previous building because when He puts His glory inside of it, because this is the temple that Jesus the Christ walked around in. This wasn't just a hopeful saying to a prophet. This wasn't just a hopeful saying to Zerubbabel. It actually had the face of Christ walking around in that temple. The glory of that latter house was in fact greater than the former house, 
even though the outside of the building was not. (laughs) How much do we rely on our sight instead of what God is doing? How much do we need to go back to his presence and say, Lord, that what you're doing in me now. Come on, if you've been here for any amount of time. If you are still looking back to some other period in your life that had the glory. You're evaluating by the wrong things. What if the Lord is speaking this to you tonight? What if you are here and there is not a single person in this room that I'm intending to avoid with this statement? No matter your age or where you are, what if the glory of the latter house will far exceed whatever you thought that you had before? Come on now. The glory in your marriage of the latter part of this, after you get this right, will be much greater than the former glory that you thought that you had. Come on now, the calling that he had that you feel like is getting worn out, that has been put on a shelf somewhere, because we're not seeing your divine greatness. What if what is to come by you being faithful to what God is speaking far outweighs that? I don't care what it looks like on the outside. I'm saying that there better be a glory on the inside. Maybe if we quit fighting for our own glory and only house his glory, this statement becomes not just about Zerubbabel and the people in 500 B.C. or whatever it is but about us here in this room tonight. Goodness gracious. Luke chapter 2. Just a few more scriptures and we're going to wrap this up. Luke chapter 2. Let's look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Hey, what you been waiting on? I'm waiting on the comfort of Israel. Wow. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. (laughs) God's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Man, everything about this guy just makes you want to go, I wish I could have I just talked to this guy. He's moved by the Spirit. I need to go to the temple of the Lord right now. Oh, amen. Go. Great. He went to the temple courts when the parents brought the child Jesus to him to do for him what was the custom of the law, what the law required. <laughs> oh, yeah, Jesus was a Jew. That's right. I forgot. He did exactly what the customs of his Jewish laws required him to do. His parents did. Samian took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Ooh, precious promise. You now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light. Somebody say a light. To the Gentile. For revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Do you see it there again? That in this little jar of clay. So we have the Lord working in jars of clay. We have him working through tabernacles. We have him working in men like Gideon. And then we have this jar of clay that is a baby that gets all of the divine glory put in it. You see this pattern that we have, church? 
See, this is supposed to be encouraging you because if he can take a jar of clay and do something glorious with it, what is he supposed to be doing with you? If he can take a baby and save the world, what can he do with you? If he can take a tabernacle, a tent, and make it full of his glory, what can he do with you? My goodness. See, this tabernacle, this jar of clay and this little baby, it wasn't just a light of revelation to the Gentiles. It wasn't just glory for his own people first, Israel. See, what he did was all of that. Then that mysterious revelation that we were included in this promise, this precious promise was given. Church, this is exactly what we are as jars of clay, but we're filled with the glory of God. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Hey, by the way, this is uh, the Apostle John. He's no more uh, at the end of the book of John. It's one of my favorite passages. I was reading it with one of you guys the other day. He's like, yes, Peter and the disciple that that, that Jesus loved. This is John writing it. Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved. His favorite. Never mentioning his own name. They ran to the tomb and the disciple that Jesus loved outran Peter. I think that's hilarious. It's It's like right at the resurrection moment. He's like, he says it two or three times in the same passage. Yes, the disciple that was the favorite outran Peter because he's old and slow. What up? See, we're way past that now, and he's an old man. He's lived the longest of all the apostles. He's there. I, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was thrown in prison, and he's saying, yeah, I'm here because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. See, he's now a brother. He's a companion in suffering. And he's here in the Lord's day in the spirit. See, he is a broken jar of clay that's in prison, that's an old man that's worn down. But like Simeon, he can still see the light of revelation that's there. He can still see the glory of God for his own people. He is something on the inside of him in Revelation 5. You see that he weeps and weeps. Why? Because there was an angel that had a scroll and no one was worthy to open it. This jar of clay said, that's too much for me. There's no one in heaven. There's no one on the earth. There's no, there's no one anywhere that can open this or even look on the inside. What do you say, John? I know you're just a jar of clay, but let me remind you of something glorious. Let Let me remind you to look and fix your eyes on the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let me show you something. Let me get, let me remind you of that light, of that revelation, of that glory, of the very face of God seen in the lion of the tribe of Judah. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. 
The body that is sown is perishable. Somebody say perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Do you know what the resurrection is promising? That your jar of clay will one day be able to match what's on the inside of the jar. What was sown as a natural body will be reaped as a spiritual body. What was sown in dishonor is raised in the same glory that was put on the inside of it. The same one that was sown in weakness is raised in the power of the heavens. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. See, what we are trying to do is every day, we understand that the natural is first and then the spiritual. Wouldn't you like for the spiritual to be first? Lord, give us the resurrection body now. Make this easy on us. We don't need the jar of clay. Just give us the powerful version of this body. Give us the one that doesn't get sick or weak or afraid. Give us that one now. That is a promise to every believer, but the promise comes after your faithful execution of your daily tasks here in this body. Why? So that His all-surpassing glory, so that His all-surpassing strength, so that He will get every ounce of glory out of us. And once that is achieved, then we get something that is supernatural. Then we can see in the natural with our eyes what was always on the inside of us to begin with. Man... Look at verse 49. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Uh Uh-oh. Flesh and blood cannot inherit it. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Churches, we get ready to close here. What are the perishable things that you need to get rid of in your life? Accepting the status quo of your own homes. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it has been. And this is the way that it will be. Fearful thoughts that are so common that we don't, not only don't defeat them, we no longer even challenge our fearful thoughts. Perishable. It won't inherit the kingdom. Giving way to fearful thoughts about ministry or matrimony or manhood or anything else. I'm I'm just stir crazy, Pastor. I got to go do something. Be careful that you're not operating in a perishable kind of way. I I just got to go do something. Do you? See, because that sounds like that may be the jar of clay instead of the glory on the inside of you, Pastor. I'm just so overlooked in many ways. Yeah, as if God is unfair to you, as if He can't just move and cause something to happen. You're really upset with God not moving you. Wow. You can't be overlooked. It is not possible for you to be overlooked. (laughs) Because you possess the glory of the heavens. He will not forget you. He will not move you before you're supposed to be moved either. He's going to work out those perishable things that his glory might be seen. Are you having trouble celebrating somebody else's victory? You're so myopic about what God you want God to do for you, you can't even celebrate with others? Does it take a sledgehammer, a nuclear bomb, to dislodge you from your own way of thinking that clearly doesn't line up with the word or the way of life that you see all around you? Huh. 
These are perishable things. Are you able to give correction? But even if you try to receive the tiniest amount of correction back towards you, you freak out, get all angry, can't handle it? The answer to all of these is yes. There are, yes, of course we're struggling with these things. These are all destined to perish. But what do you have to have on the, to be imperishable? You have to put on a Holy Spirit kind of savagery. Keep going until shalom is one in your home. You have to crush every pretension and demonic thought that works against God's plan for you. You have to expect a divine nature with inside of you and every member of your household. You have to trust that when you are ready, God, the righteous judge, who does no wrong, will cause you to become what He intended you to become anyway. You've got to be pliable, flexible. You've got to delight yourself in the Lord that He may rush in to help you completely. You've got to set an example in humility when correction comes from others. Look at 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Somebody say, stand firm. stand firm. Let nothing move you. Nothing. Nothing at all. And always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor is not in vain. It says you know that. It doesn't say you have to guess at that. It doesn't say you have to try to believe that. It says you know that your labor is not in vain. You have to stand firm. As a matter of fact, stand with me tonight. With the imperishable nature that has been given to you from the heavens, you do not move off of that. You do not move off of what Jesus Christ Himself has made you to be. You have to give yourself fully to it. Sure does sound like you're going to redeem that time. Had a friend who had a birthday. I want to share with you just a few stanzas in closing from a C.T. Studd poem that was written. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill. Living for self or only in His will. Only one life will, to, will, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Church, I've presented this message to you tonight in the hopes that you might not be weary and lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4.16, can you put that on the screen? Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Outwardly, we're a jar of clay. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day because of the fresh anointing of His Spirit. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes. Somebody say, fix your eyes. I love that the Scripture says it this way. Because clearly it means to attach your eyes. But isn't that part of the problem? Is we need to have our eyes fixed. We need to actually fix our eyes. 
by focusing not on what is seen, not on the jar of clay that's around you, not on the difficulty that you keep putting all of your effort and your energy to consider. You have to focus on what is unseen. See, when you start redeeming the time and saying, I can't see it yet, but I'm going to redeem the time today. I can't, I can't quite get there yet, but I know what's on the inside of me. And if I just don't give up, if I just fix my eyes, victory is promised. Victory is promised for your children. Victory is promised in your marriage. Victory is promised in your walk. Victory is promised that you can overcome any adversity because His divine power has given you everything you need. Since what is seen is temporary, it's perishable. But what is unseen is eternal. We need to have some people who are so active about redeeming the time that your life changes. Let's pray. Mighty God, Lord, we need your touch tonight. We need your help tonight, Lord. Lord, far too long... We have focused on ourselves being a jar of clay and not on the indestructible life that we have within us. Lord, move upon our hearts tonight. Move in this place tonight, Lord, that we might rightly set our affections upon you, that we might fix our eyes upon you, Lord. Not on the things that are seen, not on that jar of clay as the external part, but on the glory, on the light, on your face and your presence that is within us, mighty one. It is your pattern to use a tabernacle, to use a Gideon, to use a jar of clay, to house your powerful glory. Lord, may we operate in that glory now. May we have our eyes set upon you. May you be pleased with each and every heart, with each and every light in this place. Lord, in Jesus' name.